Welcome to Peak Community Church. I'm glad you're with us this morning on this Easter morning. And uh, it's good to be with you. It's good to be together. And especially this morning of all mornings to celebrate Easter. The reading is from the Gospel of Luke, the 24th chapter and the first 12 verses. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners? and be crucified and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all this to the 11 and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James and the other women who were with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves. Then he went home, amazed at what had happened. Let's pray. Father, we uh, invite your spirit to take the seed of your word and to break up the ground that is in us and plant it, nourish it, so that it may grow, bear fruit for ourselves, for the whole world. Christ's name we pray. Amen. Over the last couple years, I've had a strange experience that I would like to share with you. Some of you know Stanley, but many of you don't know Stanley Fluke. And that's because um, over two years ago, he went into the hospital. He was very, very sick. And while he was in the hospital, they determined that he should go into hospice care. And so Stanley went into hospice care in a long-term facility. Um, For much of that time, I was not allowed to see him, and I was concerned, obviously, about his condition. And then I finally did go to see him, and I assumed this would probably be our last time together. I prepared, you know, the, the kinds of psalms that you read when someone is near the end. I thought about the kinds of prayers I would pray with him, the things I would say to him the last words that he would need to hear. While Stanley was in hospice, he came down with COVID. This is devastating news. And then I saw him last week, and he seemed to be fine. (laughs) Praise God. Praise God, that's right. Honestly, he looks great. I mean, I, I can't even convey to you how good he looks. He, uh, the, the, best thing I, the best comparison I can make is that he kind of looks like a cherub. Do you know what cherub, you know how cherubs have these like rosy cheeks, kind of full, and just like some pinkness there? That's what Stanley looks like right now. I think he might be turning into an angel. 
In some way I have the experience, or I've had the experience, and I guess in some ways I still do, as the women in our story this morning who go and visit the tomb. They're going expecting death and finding something else instead. To live your life expecting death is not morbid, it's not morose, it's not eoric, meaning of Eeyore. Um, it is not even really gloomy, it's just an effort to be realistic about the world, to use sober judgment. It's trying to be mature instead of, you know, youthful naivete. It's putting together the facts of the story of the world based on what's going on and trying to be serious about the important things not about what we would prefer would happen in the world, but instead what actually happens in the world. That's what we find these women doing when they're visiting Jesus' tomb. And in a lot of ways, these women are admirable. They're admirable because they are devastated that Jesus is dead, absolutely grief-stricken and distraught over Jesus' death. And yet they're still doing the responsible thing. They're going to the grave. They're going to anoint his body. They did everything that they were supposed to do. It's hard to convey how horrifying it was that Jesus was executed. He was an innocent man, relatively young, and he was just wiped out, along with tons of other criminals too. I mean, he wasn't, it wasn't even a special death. You know, a whole bunch of criminals on a hillside, lots of crosses, Jesus was with one of them, and they just stamped him out like nothing. This was a guy who really got people's hopes up in a really big way. He was always pointing to new ways of living in the world, having new relationships with people, having new relationships even with Rome and even with God. The religious structure, structures tried to block all of this, they didn't like what he was talking about. They didn't like the way he put it. And they put a stop to all this. But a whole bunch of people who had kind of lost faith in the world, lost faith in humanity, lost faith in themselves, and lost faith certainly in religion, saw Jesus and said, finally, somebody I can believe in. And that's the guy who gets killed. Absolutely devastated. The woman could have given up, but instead they do the responsible thing. They observe the Sabbath, and then after the Sabbath, they go and tend his body. We now, us, this people, we, um, we have good reason to expect death. Why? Everybody dies, 100% of the time. Absolutely everybody dies. To live your life ignorant of death is ultimately a kind of wishful thinking about the world. The Roman Empire, the whole Roman Empire, was deadly serious about death. They drew a thick line between the living and the dead, and the dead were buried out beyond the city gates. The reason the Roman world was set up this way is because it told one story about the world that made sense of the most brutal and honest thing about it, which is that everybody dies. And because of that, no new story could get let in. When Jesus tried to insert his new story into this overarching story about life and death, he was obliterated. If someone ever challenges that, they're considered crazy or dangerous. So when the women find the tomb empty, the angels act very peculiar. They act like 
It's the most ordinary thing in the world. Look, they say, why would you look for the living among the dead? That makes no sense at all. They're extremely, extremely literal. I, I, one day I'll write like a, um, a monograph or a theological treatise on how I think angels are on the spectrum. I'm, I'm almost convinced of this, that, that there's something about being angelic and, 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 and autism. And I, I think we need to explore this more. But there's just this like, in, in some ways it's, 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 it's slightly abrasive, but honestly refreshing where they say, Look for the living among the dead. Why would you do something like that? Why? Doesn't make sense. Well, they have good reason to assume this. He died. Sure, but now he's alive. That's not, that's not a thing in our world. That's not a thing that happens in our world, that, 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 that someone dies and then they're somehow alive, and yet the tomb is empty. All our lives we have lived expecting death. The world, the universe, this is how it is organized. This is how it is set up. You live your life and then there's a wall. Death, done, that's it. Now what are you telling us? Patiently the angels explain that this didn't come out of the blue. Jesus had been telling a different story from the beginning. He was expecting death. It's not that he wasn't. But he was way, and he was in fact way more realistic about his death than some of his disciples. Some of his disciples thought, oh, maybe one day Jesus would die, but you know what's really gonna happen is we're gonna take over Rome and we're gonna, we're gonna conquer Pontius Pilate and we're gonna be in charge finally for once and we're gonna be on top. Jesus said, yeah, that's probably not gonna happen. People are out to kill me and they probably will. Jesus was very, very realistic about death, but he also said that his death wasn't the end. It wouldn't be a wall, it would be a door. The women, and who knows at this point if they're actually convinced in what the angels are saying, they at least hear a new story and they decide to tell it. They go back and they tell the disciples. The telling of the disciples does not go well, but it goes about as well as you would expect. The disciples hear what they say, most of these disciples are men, and they say, you're hysterical. This is an idle tale. How many people have had this experience, and honestly, how many women have had this experience? Let's be honest. How many women have had the experience of trying to tell a story about their health, and how they're, or how they're being treated at work or some other place, and not listened to, said, we don't believe your story. It's not true. You're just being hysterical. Literally, that's what this word means. It shows up nowhere else in the Bible, but it's used outside of the Bible to refer to people who are ill, who are making things up and raving. There's a connection between a world that only expects death and what's happening here with this story. And the connection is this, because if death is the ultimate, you know, if death is the thing that stands and is the most important thing in the world, then when, when somebody who is not considered strong, when somebody who's considered weak says a story that's different than the main story, then they have to be excluded. Because we need to keep the main story the main story. 
Still, something about this story nags at Peter. Maybe it's that some of Jesus' teaching on humility gets through to him. Because he runs to the tomb, but before he can see, he must stoop down. And then he too is bewildered and astonished. Because he too had lived a life expecting death. Death as a limit and death as a wall. During my most recent visit with Stanley, um, we were sitting at a table with another woman. And every time I would ask Stanley a question or make a comment, she would seem to respond to me and to Stanley. But I could never understand what she was saying. Sometimes it was just that I couldn't hear her, and then other times I couldn't make sense of her words. Of course, I assumed she wasn't saying anything worth listening to. But why? Why did I assume that? Did I assume it just because she's very old, because she's near death? But why should that make a difference? Why should someone who's near death not have something important to say? What if I had moved closer? What if I had stooped down like Peter and really listened? Would I have heard something that I needed to hear? This is the great fault of expecting death. We so rarely stoop to consider another story, to expect something else. We write off other stories as fantastic or babbling or hysterics or an idle tale. But I wonder now, is our expectation of death any less of a story? Is our expectation of death any less fantastic? Right now, Stanley, who was on hospice and got COVID, is probably merrily sipping coffee and likely about to mount a chariot of fire and be taken into heaven. That's what I believe. We have all these fantasy stories. Notice this, we have so many fantasy stories and they stick around. Stories about elves and orcs. Obviously they're untrue. I have yet to meet an orc. You would know it if I had. Why do we read these? Why do we tell these stories? It's because we have that seed of suspicion in us, just like Peter had, that maybe, maybe the expectation of death as the end, maybe the expectation that just what we see is all that the world is, is not really the reality. Maybe it's not the final no at the end of life. Maybe it's not a wall. Maybe it accounts for a lot, but it doesn't account for all the facts. Like Peter, we can't shake the feeling that we might be able to expect more than death. After the resurrection, the Roman world transformed. The whole world transformed. We went from the classical world to the medieval world. And here's, here's a big reason why. Christians started doing some bizarre stuff. So first they start meeting in catacombs, which is where all the dead are. And they're just there and they're singing and they're praying and they're worshiping God. They start holding great feasts and parties in the graveyards. Eventually when they were free from persecution and able to build churches, you know where they decided to build the churches? Over graves. They move the whole center of existence from outside of the city 
that had protected itself from death. You know, if you were even a tanner, if you were a Roman tanner, you know what a tanner is? They work with dead animals. If you were a tanner back then, you weren't allowed inside the city because you worked with dead animals. Christians moved the whole center of life to where death was. And it transformed absolutely everything. It's not that they didn't continue to expect death. Of course they did, but not in the way that they had before. They expected death's defeat. They expected the death of death. I told Stanley what we would be singing this morning. And so I decided to um, sing one of our songs, not as a cruel form of punishment toward him, but as an attempt at a gift. And, um, and so I sang, Christ the Lord is risen today, as much as I remembered of it anyway. And when I got to the Alleluia part, Stanley didn't miss a beat and joined right in and sang the Alleluia part. And this is wonderful because Stanley hardly ever says anything, but he said, but he sang that with me. His warm, round face and humongous smile. He knew, he knew when I started singing, he knew that part was coming. He knew the Alleluia was coming and he expected it. Like the women, we can turn from Greece to joy. And like Peter, we can move from pride to humility. I wonder if you are like me. I wonder if you have lived in expectation of death, dismissing stories and dismissing anything that doesn't fit into that particular expectation. But I also wonder if you're like me, where you can't make sense of all the facts. I wonder if you've seen or heard something in your grief that made you not go all the way down to the bottom, that made you consider maybe there's something else going on, made you consider the possibility of joy, made you question your certainty, and made you consider questions and listen to what the person says who normally you wouldn't listen to. This morning, the risen Christ asks each of us to question death, move a little closer to him and to expect something else. The risen Christ asks us to expect hallelujah. Amen. We thank you for your word, Lord. Hide it in our hearts. And Lord, I pray that you would teach us to expect hallelujah. In Jesus' name, amen. May the peace of Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. And may he bring you home rejoicing once again into these doors. Amen. Go to peace.